0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And Jerry's over there to the left. And uh, that makes the Stuff You Should Know. Got the A team. Yeah. In the hizzy. I call Face.
0: What? I'm, oh. I'm Face. <laughs> oh, of course you're Face. Look at you. I would be a combination of uh, Murdoch and Mr. T, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, your hair is kind of spiky in the middle today. Yeah. Jerry, I don't know what she'd be. Uh, I guess she'd be the leader. She'd be Hannibal. Oh, yeah. You know? She's smoking a cigar right now. <laughs> Wearing a black glove. When did you start smoking cigars, Jerry? <laughs> That's weird. Very timely.
0: I what? said A-team. I don't want to slag off guest producer Noel. He's not exactly B-team. No. We'll, we'll just call ourselves the OGs.
1: Okay. Now that we have that established, we are the OGs. <laughs> That's right. We need bowling shirts that say as much yeah. on the back. You feeling good? I'm
0: feeling uh, nauseous and uh, dizzy. Oh, well, Chuck, <laughs> did you
1: happen to see somebody else who is nauseous and dizzy?
0: Well, Jerry was last week and then uh-huh. a few more people in the office, so yeah. I just figured we all had the same thing.
1: All right. I'm going to diagnose this. Okay. It's called collective hysteria, <laughs> also known, I think more appropriately is mass psychogenic disorder yeah i think when you add the word hysteria to this it takes on certain dimensions that a lot of people could find very objectionable sure you know hysterics hysteria it's like um dogs and cats living together yeah but i think it has it has the definite um uh gender specific connotation to it from over the years like women were supposedly very hysterical, hysterical. Sure. so the the idea of Diagnosing somebody as hysterical under any circumstances is kind of a tad amount to panning, patting them on the head.
0: Yeah. Here, nice lady. You're right. You're just a little hysterical. You just go calm down and bake something. Right.
1: Yeah. Stop being crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, mass psychogenic disorder instead is just kind of like, whoa, your brain just did something pretty neat. Yeah. And that is the case for mass psychogenic disorder, if you ask me. Um, in this article, Chuck, uh, written by Jacob Silverman, Jeopardy champion. Yeah, well, he yeah. Yeah, he won on Jeopardy. That makes him a champion, right? Yeah, I
0: think so. He wasn't like the, the ultimate champion, but he won a couple of episodes.
1: Right, which is why they should have a word for, a su- I guess, like, champion is like the one who won it all. Ken Jennings. Yeah, or um, Watson. Who's that? The IBM computer. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> sure. So Jeopardy winner Jacob Silverman wrote this article mm. years back, and he did a pretty great job of citing a uh, contemporary outbreak of mass psychogenic disorder that had been going on around that time down in Mexico, down Mexico way in Chalco, Mexico, at a, a boarding school there. Uh, it apparently was a girls' boarding school, mm-hmm. and the girls that went to school there were ages 12 to 17, and all of a sudden they started, uh, well, there was an outbreak. Yeah. A weird outbreak. There was vomiting, I believe, trouble walking, um... There was fever. Yeah. That's weird. Nausea. And so the, the people running this boarding school were like, um, what's going on? This is not good. Yeah. Uh, and they had no idea. The girls went on Christmas break for 10 days, came back, and the thing just took off again like wildfire.
0: Yeah. 600 of the 3,600 girls, um, showed these symptoms and nobody could figure it out. Um, they did a lot of tests. They brought in people to like check out the facilities and cause as you'll see, there's a trend there, um, you know, here in the West, they start to blame it usually on, um, like environmental poisoning of some kind.
1: Right. Um, you know, there's some sort of toxin present that is poisoned everybody. But they
0: didn't find anything there. And eventually, um, they said, this is. Uh, what'd you call it psychosomatic uh... mass psychogenic disorder okay mass psychogenic disorder
1: but no that is one of the one of the names mass psychogenic disorder collective hysteria, mass hysteria or mass psychosomatic reaction
0: yeah they're all saying the same thing they are which they're... is you're not well I was about to say you're not really sick, but that is not exactly true because that's one thing that di- differentiates this from. Something that's just in your head is you actually do manifest physical symptoms.
1: Right. Yeah. There's this article written by a MD named Timothy F. Jones from the Tennessee Department of Health way back in the heady days of 2000, the year 2000, the future. Wow. Um, and he writes that you if you are experiencing mass psychogenic disorder, it is not just in your head. That the symptoms that you have are actually very real. Even though there's no toxic cause, they couldn't find some sort of environmental poisoning or anything like that. The symptoms are extremely real. Yeah. It's just psychosomatic. It's just basically the brain has been tricked into causing this response.
0: Yeah, and this has happened. um, They've documented about 80 cases throughout history. And apparently the National Institutes of Health uh, gets about two cases per week uh, reported but um
1: which is i mean like that's that's way more yeah common than than you would think you know
0: yeah i would think there'd be more than 80 cuz i mean these have happened if you go back and look at i mean there's all sorts of crazy lists on the internet about these cases that date back to like the 14th century
1: medieval dancing mania was one of them
0: yeah the dancing plague yeah yeah that's in there
1: uh the salem witchcraft trials sure or that's... the salem witchcraft i guess what led to the trials was um supposedly attributed to this kind of thing
0: yeah uh one weird thing about this condition is more times than not it is uh affects females yeah and young females even more specifically teenagers or even younger
1: which is as far as it goes right now inexplicable um and it's kind of a prickly issue you know like again you kind of come back to the idea of calling it hysteria yeah you know the fact that it does tend to afflict women or girls more than than boys um is apparently one means of diagnosing um psychogenic disorder mass psychogenic yeah disorder. that's
0: like one of the first things we'll say is like all this the sickness is happening in this place, the school wherever and the doctor will say, "Is it a bunch of girls yeah and then that will clue them in that hey this might be what we're dealing with here
1: and the but the problem is is no one has any idea why and there have been explanations of things like um, <clears throat> I guess girls this is this is girls culturally acceptable outlet for raging against the patriarchy sure e- even if they don't necessarily feel that that's what they're doing this is their their uh, this is the symptoms of that that's one
0: yeah uh, I thought this was a pretty
1: interesting part what article was that from slate uh, there was uh, yeah, one called um, "Massacaria" in upstate New York by Ruth Graham was on Slate. That was a good one. It
0: was a really good one. We'll get to that case in a sec. But um, th- I thought it was pretty interesting. In one part, it says, um, and this is a quote from someone writing about something and said, "In form, if not in conscious intent, it is to protest the sexual pr- repressiveness, rigid double standard of female teen culture." Um, but they were writing about Beatlemania. Yeah, which is interesting because it's sort of has a similar vibe of uh young ladies being repressed um not having an outlet and so they see the beatles and they go berserk right and faint and cry and scream yeah uh collectively whereas boys they're more prone to just act out if they're not feeling good girls are trained to keep things inward and they also point out that uh, ladies and and young ladies are more prone to seek a uh, doctor's help for something uh, they say that may account for the bias right there right like, guys just won't go to the doctor.
1: Exactly. You have to be careful, though, in, in just diagnosing mass psychogenic disorder. You physicians out there who are listening that yeah. encounter a case like this, um, it just by basing it on the fact that it is affecting more girls than boys. Because sure. there's at least one case in Great Britain where uh, I think girls were afflicted by more than half, more than double the number of girls were afflicted by this. And it turned out that there were tainted cucumbers being served in in the lunchroom.
0: Yeah, and, and everyone knows boys hate cucumbers.
1: So, I mean, this so is, they didn't eat it. Right. But this is one of the issues with dealing with um, mass psychogenic disorder in that it looks and acts a lot like some sort of weird epidemic. That basically, it looks like uh, either a um, something like bioterrorism, yeah, uh, a rapidly spreading affection, infection, or affection if sure. it's beetle mania, <laughs> yeah. and then acute toxic exposure. Uh-huh. That's what it looks like. It's like one person gets sick. This is your index case. Yeah. And all of a sudden, everyone around them. Suddenly has the same symptoms.
0: Yeah. And it's like you said, it's super dangerous to just dismiss that as, Oh, it's all in your head. Silly little ladies. Uh, you can't do that because what if it is something for real? Uh, but it's also a double edged sword as that doctor pointed out. Um, you start ordering batteries of tests and it, it, it can go both ways. It can, um, what the old saying is if you order enough tests, you're going to find something. Right. So it can fuel that fire. But you also can't not run any tests and just dismiss it. Uh, so it's a very fine line that physicians walk, uh, when dealing with stuff like this for sure.
1: Indeed. Apparently, um, study of mass psychogenic disorder has found that <clears throat> it's more prevalent in isolated communities. Yeah. And in situations where, um, there are highly rigid, formalized, structured Rules. Like a Catholic school in Mexico. Exactly. Yeah. Um, or again, um, Salem, Massachusetts in the 17th century. Yeah. You know, um, and and apparently between 1973 and 1993, half of all the outbreaks of psychogenetic or psychogenic illness took place in schools. Oh, yeah. So that, that's possibly in part by, uh, due to kids, Being susceptible to it more. Right. Um, But also because of that that rigid, formalized structure.
0: Yeah, and there's also usually a top-down effect, like it'll start with a teacher or an older student, and then the younger students follow suit, which... If you're talking influence,
1: uh, would make sense for sure. There was one very famous case. Um, apparently there's not very many actual academic studies on this. Yeah. But there's one that came out of the New England Journal of Medicine. Yeah. Um, that, that described a case in 1998 in Tennessee where a teacher noticed, um, some weird gas odor, a gassy odor. Yeah. Uh, it, like the chemical kind.
0: Yeah. Not like. The guy on the front row tooted. Right, exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, and she apparently started suffering symptoms, uh, and all of a sudden, uh, like 180 students and yeah. teachers had to go to the emergency room. The school was shut down for two weeks. They did all this environmental testing, couldn't find anything. Yeah. And finally traced it back to um, psychogenic, a mass psychogenic disorder. Yeah. That, that's what did it.
0: And, and well, then everyone. In mo- most of these cases, we should point out, everyone starts feeling better. Yes. Like in Mexico and then the school in Tennessee, it's, it, it, it's not like they went on to die or anything.
1: Yeah. So in the school in Mexico, the, these girls were at a boarding school. Yeah. They were only allowed to see their parents, I think like three times a year.
0: Yeah. They couldn't even call. It's like, it sounds more like a prison. Right. <laughs> no phone calls. School.
1: They were allowed letters. When they went home, immediately their symptoms cleared up. Yeah. The problem is that doesn't automatically say, oh, well, it's obviously mass psychogenic disorder. It could be an environmental right. toxin that they're being exposed to still right. uh, at the school and we're we're removed from. But I think the, the um, definite prognosis is mass psychogenic disorder in this case.
0: That's right. What we're talking about is a sort of version of the nocebo effect, which we've talked about before. And we will get uh, into that right after this break. So the nocebo effect, we talked about that in what? The placebo effect. Oh, <laughs> well, that makes sense. Yeah. I was trying to be more clever, thought we were more clever than that. No. Uh, nocebo, I think we said in that other podcast, too is Latin for I shall harm. And that's basically uh, whereas you take a placebo thinking it's going to help you out and it does help you out mm-hmm. uh, because the mind is powerful. The nocebo effect is thinking something bad will result like my teacher's getting sick i think i feel a little sick too and right. then oh wait my neighbor's feeling a little sick i think i'm feeling a little sick too
1: or this this drug trial that i'm on i i was told that i could possibly get some sort of gastrointestinal distress yeah <laughs> yeah and even though i've been given a sugar pill right i'm now going <laughs> yeah because of my mind because of the nocebo effect
0: uh, there was a famous uh, experiment or case from 1886 where there was a woman who had a rose allergy and they showed her an artificial rose and she began to, I guess it was convincing, mm-hmm. and she began to have her allergic reaction and they said, aha, it's fake and you're faking. And uh, she said, oh, well, I think I'm feeling better now. And supposedly that cured her of her real allergy to ro- real roses. Right. I couldn't find a lot to back that up, but is it it is a story
1: yeah, well no, It's a I mean it was in uh I can't remember the journal but it oh, was it like, really was. Oh, yeah it was a real deal okay. thing and um i don't I didn't get to the bottom of why they presented this woman with uh, a fake rose or whatever, but they definitely did and this definitely happened yeah and um they the even the the author of the study was saying like this woman she wasn't faking right. It was like she, she had real symptoms. Sure. Hives are hives. Exactly. You can see those. Um, I think they call it like a rose cold or something like that. <laughs> you can get, you know, stuffy. Yeah. Your eyes are watering. Your, um, your nose is running that kind of thing. And what's interesting is some researchers have studied the nocebo effect and they basically is, have isolated this, this chemical that gets released when the nocebo effects going on. And again, we should say it's not just, um, making your nose runny or releasing histamines yeah. or anything like that. It's pain too. Like you can, you can experience pain even though nothing's there to give you pain. Right. Just because of the nocebo effect. What they found was a, um, a, I guess a, a hormone, I believe. Are you ready? I'm going to try this one. Uh, That sounds great. Thanks, man. I haven't looked at the word, but it sounds right. Cholecystokinin. Yeah. Um, do you see it now? Oh, yeah. That's totally right. I totally did. So it's a hormone, right? And it gets released, and it actually um, it helps you experience pain. Uh-huh. So it's a nasty little hormone. Yeah. But they found in testing with the, the nocebo effect that if you block this, you can also block the nocebo effect. So that proves two things.
0: Does that block pain, though? Yes. Like your pain receptors? Yes. So does that mean if you slam your hand in the door, you won't
1: feel it? If you can block this. Wow. Yes. So um if you can block cholecystokinin. Right. Uh it, it, Yes, it will keep you from um, hypersensitivity to pain, I believe. Yeah. And this guy named uh, Fabrizio Benedetti, mm-hmm. who I think was also in the strokes back in 1997. There was a Fabrizio, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he was testing out the nocebo effect and found that if he told people that he was giving them an injection, which is, a, it's a pretty cruel test, but effective. Yeah. These post-op people who had just come out of surgery, mm-hmm. uh, were given an injection and told, this injection is going to increase your pain in 30 minutes. I'm sorry. We have to give it to you. It's part of the procedure. Right. He gave uh, some people an injection of saline, uh-huh. and they reported an increase in pain.
0: And they all went behind the, the two-way mirror and laughed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, what a chump. Like, what, 30 minutes?
1: <laughs> yeah. And then they gave somebody, like the other group, the control group, uh, a chemical, an injection that blocks that pain. But they were told that it was going to increase their pain. Right. But they were given a chemical that blocks uh uh uh-huh. And the nocebo effect didn't take place. They didn't in- report an increase in pain.
0: Even though they were told they would. Yes. Wow.
1: So they so this guy's saying like the nocebo effect is real. Yeah. Like when when they say it's not just in your head. Sure. It you're experiencing the same thing as if you were experiencing somebody stabbing you. Well, it is just real, seem- you know, exactly. that's when you have
0: to start asking yourself those deep philosophical questions. Right. Interesting. Um, there's, uh, another case that's, have you ever seen the movie Safe, the Todd Haynes movie with Julianne Moore? No. It's from like, uh, the mid nineties and she played a lady that, um, started to have environmental sickness, um, just in the air and she's got sort of like increasingly, um, crazy as the movie went on as far as scrubbing things and locking herself in her house and making her house a clean environment. Sounds great. Uh, it was good. And um, there's, there's a, a true story, though, of a lady in uh, London um, named Debbie Bird. She's a health spa manager mm-hmm. that says that she's allergic to uh, EMF, electromagnetic fields. And it's an actual thing now. You know, there's more than her claiming it's called ES, electromagnetic sensitivity, where she has basically transformed her house she painted it black Uh she said she's allergic to computers cell phones microwaves she had her house rewired uh to make it basically emf free uh she and her husband sleep under a silver-plated mosquito net to keep out radio waves and covered all her windows with protective films and uh she said she's feeling a lot better now
1: so i saw that yes electromagnetic yeah. sensitivity that if you expose somebody to a an electromagnetic field and then just tell them that you are and don't yeah. they have the same reaction which yeah. would suggest that it's it's nocebo.
0: Well, it's super fascinating cuz you see cases like this from that to like gluten sensitivity mm-hmm. becoming a big thing now and people some people contend that well, it's maybe a collective hysteria going on and yeah. If you think you're going to be sensitive to gluten, then you're going to be sensitive to things that contain gluten. And I'm not saying that, people, because that's a very hot topic. Sure it is. But um, some people have claimed that.
1: <laughs> well, we'll talk a little bit more about things that exacerbate the uh, mass psychogenic disorder and the nocebo effect right after this. Stuff
0: Stuff so, Chuck
1: Back in 2007 in New Zealand, yeah, uh, a drug called uh, L-Troxin. It was a pretty widespread drug in, in New Zealand. It's a hormone replacement drug. Uh-huh. And it was the only one that the government would pay for. So most people who were on this hormone replacement therapy were using L-Troxin. And it had been that way for like decades. Yeah. It was just an established drug. GlaxoSmithKline. What was it for though? Hormone replacement. Oh, oh okay. A GlaxoSmithKline I think just those, there's no welcome involved. Uh-huh. Um, changed just the, like the outer, the inert qualities of it, like the shape of the pill, the color. Yeah. Um, and I think that's about it. But the, the active ingredient was exactly the same in 2007. Uh, and when they released it, all of a sudden some reports of bad side effects were starting to trickle in. And the government was like, wait, what's going on here? It got a little bit of media attention, and more reports started trickling in. Yeah. And then the media attention grew, and the reports grew and grew. And apparently, the reporting of adverse effects of Mm L-troxin increased 2,000-fold in a year and a half. Because of the look of the pill. Because of the look of the pill. Yeah. They, They went back and studied this, and they found that in areas where there was more reporting about these adverse effects being reported for altroxin, uh-huh. the more adverse effects were being reported in that area. And that kind of reveals one of the um, risk factors for uh, mass psychogenic disorder is the media. It's yeah. actually spread through the media most easily. Yeah, I,
0: I, they have a point, though. I mean, um, I know in this article, too, it points out that uh, pills that are blue and green are usually associated with mm-hmm. drowsiness. Yeah. Uh, pills that are orange or yellow Are not, and uh, I don't know if that's why they market it that way, or if it's the opposite. Is we just see it that way because of products like NyQuil and DayQuil. Right. But the one that makes you sleepy is green and blue, and the one that keeps you awake or that keep you awake but doesn't make you drowsy is orange.
1: I thought about it. I think. I mean, what do you associate with like daytime, sunrise, yellow, orange, red? Totally makes sense. What do you associate with nighttime? Like something tranquil, like blue. Yeah. Yeah. Scotch. Scotch amber. Uh, yeah, you, I mean, you think of, I, that's what I, I, I think it came from, I think the pills came after the association rather than the other way around. Yeah.
0: I think I even, like, when I get a prescription for something, when I see the pill, I make a judgment on it before I've even had it just by saying, wow, oh, look at that thing. Or it's that, heavy. yeah, that's a horse pill or that's a capsule with, uh, you know, powdery stuff inside. That's right. different than, the chalky one. It's you. I think you just make an association. I don't think I have any preconceived notions on what a larger pill will do to me, right? Or a capsule will do to me, uh, other than a tablet. But uh, I think it's interesting, though, how you make these judgment calls.
1: But without even thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, totally. You know, I mean, like you're you're you probably don't sit there and look at a pill in your hand. You just take it and just make some sort of um, almost unconscious. Judgments about it.
0: Yeah, it may remind you of another pill that helps you that you're not even remembering. Exactly. So that would
1: be placebo. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Nocebo effect. Not great. Poses, no, and it poses a lot of problems. For instance, it, uh, there was a study, I think, in the 90s that found that women who believed that they were prone to heart disease were four times likelier to die yeah. of heart disease than women who didn't believe they were prone to it even though they had all the exact same risk factors basically the same risk risk factors there was nothing differentiating these women aside from a belief that they were going to die from heart disease or a, a belief that they weren't yeah and that led to a four-time fourfold increase in in deaths yeah. from that just basically from a belief is what it suggests.
0: Yeah, we well, it's sort of like the the. I know it's kind of cheesy, but the PMA, the positive mental attitude. Mm-hmm. I think we've all know someone who walks around, oh, so and so sick. Oh, I know I'm going to get it. I just right. know I'm going to get sick, or you know, I just know I'm going to get cancer because it runs in my family. That I think that has an effect on things.
1: I I have to agree. I know some of our more skeptical listeners will are pulling their hair out right now, but. I totally agree with you. Yeah. When we did our show in Toronto uh, on the way back, uh, Yumi and I flew out of Buffalo. Uh huh. And I was feeling a little down, but like at the point where I feel like you can talk yourself into staying healthy. Yeah, yeah. Positive mental attitude, I guess sure. is what you call it. PMA. But we were leaving right at about dusk and the sun was just. Beaming through the windows and illuminating every single oh, no. microbe, <laughs> visible microbe in the air. Yeah. And I could see them like <laughs> just going into my nose and my mouth. And I'm like, Oh no, I-, I couldn't stop. Like I couldn't, I was like, I'm not going to get sick. I'm not going to get sick. And man, did I ever get sick. Yeah. But I noticed that right when we took off and no, you know what it was? Somebody shut one of their, um, their, uh, window covers. Yeah. Yeah. The shade. Shade uh-huh. exactly is the word that I was looking for. <laughs> uh, somebody shut their shade, and I couldn't see it anymore. And I immediately started to feel less symptomatic. Wow! Immediately, it was like turning off a light. Yeah. And I still got sick, but I was just drowning in in basically what my brain was interpreting is like being assaulted by foreign invaders, which I am all the time. Sure. But I normally can't see them.
0: Yeah. Well, I've done. I do that all the time when I open my uh the. Curtains in in the bedroom and I'll see in the morning, I'll see that stuff in the air and I just think, Oh man, that's what I'm walking around (laughs) breathing in and breathing. Yeah. Dog hair and cat hair
1: and Emily hair. So (laughs) (laughs) your lungs are just chock full of it. (laughs) So one of the, one of the problems this poses, Chuck, for physicians is that we expect doctors or we want doctors to be transparent, to not lie to us. Yeah, we've talked a lot about this lately, I feel like. Yeah. You know? We've talked a lot about diseases. Some of yeah. our, um, hypochondriac listeners have been like, please right, stop, stop talking <laughs> about diseases. Because now I've got morgolons. Right. <laughs> I'm going to have like some sort of uh, toxic exposure. Yeah. Toxoplasmosis. Yep. Um, and then very soon leprosy. Spoiler. So, uh, the, the problem is, is if you tell somebody that's going into surgery, Hey, by the way, um, you know, you, you might have trouble walking. Yeah. You might feel nauseous for the next six months. You, like, all this stuff that could be associated with, which we demand from our doctors. Yeah. It's been shown that if you are fearful or in despair going into surgery, that's associated with longer healing times and a higher risk of post operative infection. Yeah. Right? So, if you have the nocebo effect where doctors are saying, Okay, if I tell somebody, and it's been proven time after time that in drug trials, people who are still are given placebo will drop out of drug trials because they're experiencing these negative side effects. Uh Uh-huh even though they're given the sugar pill. right? So if you're a doctor and you you know that you are telling somebody something that ultimately may end up harming them, and yet you've sworn an oath to do no harm, you've got a conundrum going on right now. Yeah. And that's what the nocebo effect poses. It's the problem the nocebo effect poses for modern physicians. Like how much should they tell you? If you're going to tell somebody that they're going to feel nauseous for six months, even though they probably won't, should you tell them? And give them a chance to to basically have the psychosomatic yeah. symptom.
0: Or tell them they're going
1: to feel great. Well, that's another one. Somebody says the solution to this is just frame it differently. Right. Like, don't say there's a chance you're going to have um, nausea for six months. Say half of a percent of patients who go through the same procedure that you're about to go through have nausea for six months. 99.5% don't. Right. You're giving them the same information. It's just framed more positively.
0: Yeah, and uh, that one doctor who wrote the article on collective hysteria said um, what he recommends is not naming uh, the illness. He said that can help out um, because as soon as you give something a name, then... It just instantly, you know, you have something you can call it, and everyone's calling it that, or the media picks up on it, right? And it's a thing.
1: Yeah, and that's actually, again, one of the one of the risk factors in the spread of mass psychogenic illness is the larger the response, the emergency medical response to it. Yeah, and then hence the larger the media response to it, the larger the outbreak tends to be. It's called line of sight exposure. Yeah, just knowing somebody is sick, or seeing somebody sick can give you the same symptoms.
0: I'm sure if you see a news story that all the other news agencies are running that says uh, there's been some uh, weird chemical leak in the air in Atlanta, mm. uh, people are going to start walking around and coughing right, and saying, uh, I'm not feeling so good. I have a bitter <laughs> taste in my mouth.
1: There's microbes everywhere.
0: Well, here's a case uh, from that article you sent that I think is super fascinating, uh, the one in upstate New York, Yeah, because it is not a rash or... Um, a cough or nausea. It is Tourette syndrome. Uh sixteen year old um, young lady named Lori Bronwell, uh what year was this? A couple of years ago? Yeah, not too long ago, I think twenty twelve. Um in Corinth, New York, um was at her school's homecoming dance and lost consciousness. Um, this is she, after she, she had banged oh, yeah. at a concert.
1: Sorry, man. I thought you were going to leave out like the best part.
0: <laughs> yeah, she was head-banging at a concert. I wish I knew what concert that was so Me bad. too.
1: I didn't find it anywhere.
0: Uh, apparently passed out there and had passing outfits. Uh, involuntary twitching and clapping started, twisting her hair, fluttering her fingers. Uh Hey, hey, hey! Starting stuff like that. Yeah. And the doctor said, you know what? You've got Tourette syndrome. So Tourette's syndrome is, is, uh, we've had a podcast on it. It's a real a thing. One, it's yeah. not psychosomatic. Yeah. Um, but, uh, since that time, 14 other students along with her, 13 girls and one boy started exhibiting at Leroy Junior High School. I'm sorry, Junior Senior High School uh-huh. started coming down with Tourette's. Right. Which is not contagious. It is not contagious at all. Um, Aaron Brockovich got on the case, um, famous environmental activists and she said no i think this has got to do with this train derailment from 1970 that dumped cyanide all over this town right um and i didn't see where they found any uh legitimate effects
1: right again that's the confounding thing about mass psychogenic disorder is that it is still possible that there is some weird toxin in the environment that is causing this like Maybe there was exposure to cyanide that got in these people's brains and g- all gave them Tourette. And if you stand back and look at it, you're like, you- Tourette syndrome isn't contagious. That doesn't mean that you right. can't all come down with Tourette syndrome from exposure to a toxin. It's just still it's this X factor that's out there that you can't just necessarily rule out. With and,
0: confidence. Uh, yeah, and I believe in that case, too, The um, those 14 students didn't end up with Tourette syndrome.
1: That was a good episode, man. Love Tourette's syndrome one. Yeah, that's an
0: oldie. Yeah, oldie but a goodie.
1: And it all came from head banging. That's how it started. That mess at a Nickelback show. <laughs> yeah, because Corinth is near Canada. Canada doesn't let Nickelback out any longer. Oh,
0: really? Are they caged in there? Yeah. Nice. Uh, there's another case of the toxic lady. Did you hear this one? In Riverside, California, a woman named Gloria Ramirez, um, yeah. she was dubbed the Toxic Lady in 1994. Uh, she had cervical cancer and was being treated, and all the medical staff started to get sick that was treating her. Um, this sounds gross, but they said her body exuded a garlicky, fruity smell, mm-hmm. and her blood had uh, flecks of what looked like paper, um, which sounds kind of like morgulons, actually. Nice. You know, like that? Yeah. Um, and they said that... M- most of the people that got sick while treating her were women, uh, more women than men. And they all took a uh, blood test and came back normal. And the health department said mass hysteria.
1: So that's funny because I looked, I remembered that story and I was yeah. like, I wonder if that was mass hysteria. And I looked it up, and I found that, no, it was an environmental toxin. Oh, it was? That's what I found.
0: So they called it mass hysteria at the time and then later found out?
1: I think like a year or two later, she ah. was using some sort of salve or something on her skin. And they think that it interacted with her biochemistry and really did produce a tox- uh, toxic gas.
0: She said, it may be this fruit garlic salve. <laughs>
1: right, exactly. <laughs> That's interacting badly with my pancreas.
0: Oh, well... uh this list needs to be updated. That, <laughs> that, dude, that
1: is a fascinating case. It is. Like, and people got really sick from that. I think I remember hearing about that, too. Yeah. Well, I'm glad they found a real cause in that case. From what I understand. But that's, a, that's, that's the point. Like, right. y- you can say, well, obviously there's, women were more affected than men. Yeah. Right? Well, is that because there's more women in the nursing profession and there were more nurses in the room? Yeah, maybe. There's a lot of different things you have to take into account before you just write it off. Sometimes it is real, like sick building syndrome. Yeah. That's a tough one because in after the uh, OPEC oil embargo, uh-huh. apparently people started designing buildings to be more airtight. So your ventilation, ventilation system was really important. Yeah. And these buildings haven't aged necessarily very well, so the ventilation system is not doing what it's supposed to any longer. And so they think possibly that's leading to what we know as sick building syndrome, which is Malaise. It's when you don't feel good when you go to work.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Which is everybody. Every but day.
1: some studies have found like, no, that is the better predictor of sick building syndrome. Yeah. Is job stress or job dissatisfaction. Yeah. Um, if, if you have a building full of people who don't like their jobs, you're going to have a building full of people with sick building syndrome. But if you go on to say like a, a local government's website or whatever and you look at sick building syndrome, it's a, it's treated as a real thing.
0: Yeah. Well it definitely affects your gastrointestinal like stress does.
1: Well also apparently it can um, set off bouts of asthma. Yeah. Um, which is another reason why they think it might have something to do with like volatile organic compounds in the ventilation sure. system or new carpeting, that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, off gassing, man. You you smell that stuff when you open up a new product, right? Yeah. There's also the dancing plague, which we mentioned briefly.
1: Tell me about it. Uh
0: Frau Trophia, uh july fourteenth, fifteen eighteen. Went out on the streets of Strasbourg, France and started dancing, even though there was no music and dancing like a maniac for three straight days. And all these wow. people started dancing with her yeah. saying, this is a good time. Um, said within a month, a hundred people were uh, dancing with her and couldn't stop and, uh, hyperventilating, hallucinating, some dropped dead of heart attack and stroke and exhaustion. And the, uh, authority said, let's just hire a band. And let them dan- dance it out, because yeah. they've got the hot blood, is what they called it. All right. <laughs> and so they did, and um, a lot of people died as a result. And it said 400 people in the end were struck. Uh, I don't think they died, but were dancers. Right. And then it just stopped. And that's when they blame, a lot of people blame on ergot poisoning which we've mentioned before. I always
1: go with ergot poisoning. Yeah, back then. Like, Those people were clearly tripping on something. <laughs> they got the hot blood. But th- what it sounds like you just described is basically how Tom Hanks invented jogging in the 70s. Jogging? Yeah. Oh, yeah? yeah. yeah. <laughs> he just started running and people started following him.
0: <laughs> I-, I wish that part had been cut out of that movie. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought that it was a weird thing that should have been on the editing room floor. <laughs> it really kind of derailed things for a while for me. Yeah. I don't think that movie's aged well, though. Other people say though that it was, uh, Sydenham's chorea, uh, disorder, uh, linked to strep throat and rheumatic fever that causes dance-like twitches. Um, and then of course modern medical historians say it was mass psychosis.
1: I would go with that one. Yeah, but
0: back then it made more sense though when during the Salem witch trials and before they knew anything about medicine and you could just say you got the hot blood or you're having the fits, like,
1: these or, modern or the cases, devils possessed you?
0: Yeah, exactly. These modern cases are the ones that really freak me out because so much is explainable now.
1: Well, Here's the thing, though, Chuck. We've always explained it with something that comes easily to mind. So back in the day before science... In medicine, yeah. it was the devil possessing you. Yeah. And don't think that people weren't freaked out when they thought that the devil was there in oh, town sure. possessing yeah. people in the same way that, you know, you're freaked out by the idea that it's cyanide in the soil yeah. from a train derailment from 1970. Or Beetle it's, Mania. It's just exactly. Yeah. Which is the deadliest of all the manias. <laughs> but it's just as real yeah. to the experiencer. That's and it right. all comes down to people just basically being sick of the establishment and letting loose for a while.
0: Don't want to go to work. Nice. So I'll dance.
1: You got anything else? Uh, no, sir. Uh, if you want to know more about Collective Hysteria, which is the name of this article, type those words in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, and it will bring it up. And I said search bar, which means it's time for listener mail.
0: I'm going to call this um, episode on grief. We got a lot of great feedback, and that continue, uh, they continue to roll in. Yeah. Hey, guys, just stumbled upon your podcast through my TuneIn radio app. Uh, I guess that's a mini plug. Mm-hmm. We're available there now. Yeah. Um, I've devoured almost all of uh, the 600-plus shows. I may be a new listener, but I'm already a lifelong fan. So why I'm writing in, guys, is I lost my twin sister back in 2010. Uh, it was a rough time because as a fraternal twin, me being the boy, I looked at her not only as a sister but as a mother and friend, too. Long story short, I wanted to comment on the grief show some time ago. I've dealt with my grief uh, through my artwork. Uh, I'm a small town artist from Johnson City, Tennessee, and I rarely can get noticed or any attention with my art. I wanted to share my new piece I've just finished uh, after listening to how comic books work. I'm a huge fan of Marvel Comics, and I hope you both enjoy this. And he sent this really cool, I think it was like every member of the Marvel Universe had to be in this picture that he did.
1: I didn't see that one. It's
0: really, really neat. Just jam-packed full of uh, Marvel comic heroes and villains. Um, so Josh and Chuck, thanks for the inspiration, laughs, and getting through every day at the office. Uh, P.S. My twin, Jessica, passed away from epilepsy, actually. A condition called SUDEP, sudden unexplained death of epilepsy. My mother is trying to raise awareness because November is Epilepsy Awareness Month. So if you guys wouldn't mind mentioning this on the show, she would be so happy for that. Yeah. Also, an epilepsy show would be cool, too. Um, not a lot is discussed about it. And that is Jason Flack. And Jason, I uh, wrote you back. That is heartbreaking about your twin sister. Yeah, it is. Very sorry to hear that. Um, and we will definitely do a show on epilepsy. And since this is November, though, uh, people should go out and find out what they can during National Epilepsy Month. Yeah. Maybe and We'll, we we'll follow one up one. with the show. I yeah. don't know if it'll be in November, but we'll get to that one for sure. Yeah. And thanks for that piece of art. And if anyone's interested in a great comic book artist from Johnson City, Tennessee, could do
1: a lot worse than Jason Flack. Jason, thank you very much for sharing that with everybody. That means a lot to us. Uh, if you want to share with us and all of our listeners out there, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash StuffYouShouldKnow. You can send us an email with attached artwork to StuffPodcast at And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com.